Academy Sports and Outdoors wants to thank teachers for everything you do. That's why they're giving you 10% off your entire purchase from July 31st to September 5th, just in time for back to school. So swing by your local Academy store or save online at academy.com on all the top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Freely. Don't wait. Start enjoying your special thanks and savings today. Teachers and school staff, please bring your school ID to receive your discount at checkout. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Big Kings on Small Boats. I'm going to be talking with Captain Rob Corley of Sandbar Safari Charters, operating out of the Emerald Isle, Swansboro area. We're going to be talking about location, weather, bait, rigs, and ultimately presentation. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest efforts, the Saltwater Podcast Series. And it's in the Saltwater Podcast Series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Here we are, Billy, back at the studio with longtime friend Rob Corley. This ought to be a good, fun, easy podcast. Yeah, man, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking, oh, Rob, is this is not his first trick on the podcast, and he's actually taking it to the next level tonight. So I'm excited. Just seeing the prep work, I'm excited to... Uh, jump in and see uh, see what he's got going on. See him do some tricks, magic tricks. Everyone, stay tuned. It's gonna be good. Uh, but really, yeah, man, exciting, dude. Always exciting to be talking about uh, pod or podcasting, fishing, podcasting about fishing, whatever we're doing here. So uh, I'm excited. And making that possible is our sponsor this episode, which is Marine Warehouse Center. So we really enjoy those guys being a longtime sponsor. And got a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything from trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. There you go, man. They do, man. They want you out there. They want me out there. They keep me out there. They, yeah, they keep the fish post boat afloat. They do. I think you've been, I think maybe your boat's been in the shop more in the last season than I've known. Maybe, or maybe not. Or is it just yeah. regular maintenance stuff? Yeah. Once over the winter time, I give them a laundry list of things to address. And then typically one time during the season. Oh. You know, like today, like this year, I mean, it was Livewell's just stopped working on me. And this is going to come as a shock. I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to working on my boat. So instead of trying to figure out the Livewell's myself, I said, what am I doing? I'm just going to take it to my friends at Marine Warehouse Center. They love me there. Whoa, big shock. There's no way. Gary doesn't maintenance his own boat or fish off his own boat? Not a chance. I can't it. remember the last time I tied a fishing knot either. Somehow I get away with not tying my own fishing knots. 
That's true. Hooking your own fish. I'm surprised you didn't reel them in, Gary. I'm surprised you didn't reel them in. Well, man. Some of them. So, so speaking of Marine Warehouse, Emmett is a big friend of ours, big friend of the show. And yes. he's been uh, traveling a lot. So we've been trying to figure out where in the world is Emmett. And I do this, Gary, by giving you a couple of hints. And you try to figure out where in the world is Emmett. Where in the world is Emmett? And I get a hint, I'm in. And you get, you get a couple of hints here. Well, maybe one hint. You're, you'll figure Even so better. When you do this activity... You lose out on a third of your taste buds during this activity. When you do this activity, you lose out on a third of your taste buds doing this activity. Um, spicy wings, hot coffee? Nope. Okay, I'll give you another one. It's impossible to lock yourself in the bathroom while doing this activity. Lock yourself in the bathroom. How can it be impossible to lock yourself in the bathroom? I don't brush your teeth. Nope. All right, here we go. No more guesses. Emmett is on an airplane. He's headed to his next destination, Gary. Right there. <laughs> Wait, how did he lose his taste buds? I don't. I do. I don't know. I just looked up, you know, weird things about flights that you probably don't know. And one of those things is you lose out on a third of your taste buds during flights. So Holy cow! I had no idea why all those trashy pretzels and cookies taste good. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. All right. Yeah. And Smarter. I guess, and I guess you can't lock yourself in the bathroom. Maybe there's like an anti-trap <laughs> like, yourself like, in the bathroom. The that's kind of that's kind of creepy. Like when they're taking to two, now I'm just not going to be comfortable ever because I just know like somebody <laughs> has a key to this thing and they're going to get me out. <laughs> well, that was a good one. I I was completely going in a different direction. I was nowhere near the solution. Maybe yeah. someone out there was I mean, listening did, or watching, did, but I was like not. The, the hot sauce, the wings, and the bathroom all together. I mean, that does. It's making sense. I mean, that is a. You do lose your taste buds, and I'm sure we'll send you to the restroom. I wonder how that taste buds you lose when you brush your teeth. Dude, probably a lot. Do you brush your tongue? Is that something you do? No, yeah, that's I enough. don't. <laughs> I brush my tongue. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to fishing. <laughs> this thing is off the rails. <laughs> save us. Save us with a fish photo. All right, here we go. Here is a fish photo. We got Juliet Hughes from Spokane, Washington. Oh, really far from home. Hooked this king on a Yozuri crystal minnow at Lighthouse Rock. All right. So I'm curious. It didn't say a size. I was hoping it would say a size, but it didn't. Why? You wanted to call her out? You wanted I wanted to, to call her a liar. Juliet, you're lying. Whatever size you think <laughs> it was, it wasn't. She's just out here from the West Coast catching King Mackerel, man. She ain't trying to. <laughs> just hold it in front of the camera. All right? Just hold it in front of the camera. She, she wasn't doing that. Camera. That's us. No, That's she what wasn't. I do. That's not her. She's probably a sweet lady. <laughs> I'll show you some of my fish pics later on this podcast, Gary. Not today, but some other time. I just, two, two hands, hold them out. So anyhow. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's my, I'm going to try to make this sort of segue. Speaking of King Mackerel. Sometimes King mackerel are mentioned on our weekly inshore and nearshore fishing reports. Now they're only mentioned when they're actually a nearshore King mackerel bite, because right now Fisherman's Post is only offering weekly 
inshore, nearshore fishing reports. So now it, it is behind a paid wall. It's at fishermanspost.com. You click on member content or you type in members. And for a low fee, you can access a new round of fishing reports delivered in audio and video format every week. Talking to 11 captains up and down the coast, covering the entire North Carolina coast. And they are sharing with you not only what they've been doing, what they've been seeing, but they give you their weekender best play. It is their advice for your best chance to catch a fish that coming weekend. And it has been a fun project, a rewarding project, and we're getting great feedback. Yeah, man, it's been a ton of fun, ton of great information in there as well. So uh, even I can take what they say and go catch a fish. That's saying a lot. So anyway, there saying you go. a lot. Now I hope Rob is going to get us on a fish. I'm hoping. Man, he's he's going to kill it. That yeah, guy he, is as fishy as they come. We'll see if he can walk me through my imagination to catch a fish. That's the. T- <laughs> All right. That's how I, I fish often, Gary. He'll, he'll accept that challenge. <laughs> Rob Corley will accept that challenge. I'm All right. Excited. But now, now that you've made a request, that puts even more pressure on Billy's best takeaway. At the conclusion of this episode, I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. But right now, right now, I'm bringing back to the show our one of our favorites, Captain Rob Corley, Sandbar Safari Charters out of the Emerald Isle, Swansboro area. Welcome back to the show, longtime friend Rob. How you doing? How we doing, Gary? Good to see you guys again, man. Happy to be on the podcast. Yeah, man. Always great to connect with you, whether in person, virtual, on the boat. But no much, no matter how much history we have, nobody gets on the show without two questions. And so you say you're ready for two questions. I serve you up the first. All right. All right, Red Drum Rob. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a King Mackerel? Uh, I used to fish for King Mackerel back in the day a little bit. Uh, my dad was a really big King Mackerel fisherman. He loved it and fished the tournament circuit for a long time. So I kind of grew up cutting my teeth doing that offshore. Uh, I fished that a lot more than I fished inshore growing up. And so I've done a lot of King Mackerel fishing over the years. And specifically in small boats, that's been my range since I started chartering, uh, since I run a 22-foot bay rider. Uh, it's got, you know, about 10, 12 15 mile range offshore. So I got to pick my days and stay pretty close to the beach. And uh, that works out for the near shore King mackerel. All right. A very much acceptable answer for question number one. Question number two, though, as you know, is a non fishing related question. This is a bit of a questionnaire. Um, I saw Big King in the title. And I don't know if you know this. This isn't a question. I'm just telling you that Burger King serves up a burger called the Big King. Were you aware of that? So uh, I, believe I, have, it's, I believe it's similar to the Big Hardy or the Big Mac. I think it is. I think they're all competing there. But here's my questions for you. I am going to give you a menu item, and you tell me whether or not it is a McDonald's menu item or a Burger King menu item. And these might not be current items. I'm going back into history here. All right. Number one, Morning Star Veggie Burger. McDonald's. Burger King. Fully loaded biscuit. Hmm. That sounds like a Burger King. It is a Burger King. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Shake. McDonald's. That's a Burger King. And finally, 
signature sriracha buttermilk crispy chicken sandwich. That's a McDonald's. That is a McDonald's. You finish on a win. You finish on a correct answer. So enough of enough of the tomfoolery, enough of the fast food isms. Let's talk King Mackerel. Let's talk big kings from small boats. And let's start, you know, this is released in August. This is released in late August. So that's our time frame. Let's talk about locations. What is accessible to the small boat guy that wants to catch a King Mackerel? Well, like I said, usually uh, about 12 to 15 mile range on a pretty day is as far as you need to go to find uh, a good King Mackerel bite during the summer. And especially into the fall, um, September and October, the fish push in closer to the beach. Uh, more of them start running through and the biggest ones are usually hanging out closer to the beach. And uh, it seems like our fish sort of slowly migrate south to north, going up north and east uh, towards Cape Lookout, and then eventually push offshore when it gets colder. But some of the best fishing near shore for me has always been June through uh, October. And July and August are a little bit tempted because it gets such hot weather, but uh, the bait can get really thick and, and big fish can really stack up on the beach uh, during that time of year. So. So when we're talking location and we're talking, I mean, I understand what you said. Um, is there a certain water temperature that you look for or that is I'm, not as I'm more interested as in, you would think? I'm more interested in water clarity, uh, really, and water color. Um, looking for that change out of the brown water to the green water. And a lot of times when that green water gets pushed right up to the beach and there's blue water three, five miles offshore, uh, we get a calm stretch in the summertime, and that happens a lot in June, especially. Um, we get some really good fishing on the beach, and then when it's really dirty in the summertime uh, and it's churned up on the beach, it seems like those fish will push a little further away from the inlets, uh, and they'll they'll push a little further offshore. Um, so really, water clarity, because as you as you go from say Bogue Inlet to Moorhead Inlet, somewhere in the middle, the water is going to be a lot cleaner. Um, than what you got pouring in and out of the inlets with all the rain that we have during the summertime, especially in July and August. So I'm looking for water clarity and color uh, to be right. And on top of that, I'm looking for bait. And that really determines my location as far as, uh, you know, there's there's not that many places to go that are 10 miles inshore. I mean, there's plenty of them, but there's that you're a bit limited on the smaller boats, but those fish can be uh, five miles down the beach one day and 15 miles down the beach the next day. They can move a lot in a short amount of time. So kind of finding the right piece of water to fish on any day is really what matters. So if I'm looking, I follow what you're saying with looking for water quality, water clarity. As far as looking for bait, is that all a, is that mostly a visual game or is that mostly an electronics game? That's mostly all electronics. Um, I'll try to get an idea of what the water looks like when I'm running from the inlet to wherever my first spot off the beach might be, whether it's two or eight miles off. And uh, when I start seeing that cleaner water, I'll kind of think about where that line is and, and how far off the beach that is. And then uh, I might, if that cleaner water's pushed in, I might not go push as far offshore as I might have planned on that day. Um, unless, you know, even if you've got a report of a lot of good fish in one place, when you leave the inlet looking for king mackerel, uh, old salty captain used to tell me he never 
knew where he was going until he got outside that inlet and then he'd make a call. And uh, I think there's a lot to that because you've got changing conditions and it's very dynamic out there. And so uh, your, your best thought plan, you know, two days before might be shot uh, going out there that day because the water is too clean and the fish are pushed in or it's too dirty and they're pushed out. So uh, I try to get an idea where that's at and then I'll, I'll choose some live bottoms whether they're ledges, uh, rocks, or reefs, artificial or man-made or natural, and I'll try to get in that range <clears throat> of water clarity and fish that structure. And then when I'm fishing the structure, bait coming up to the surface is always great to see, uh, but really I'm looking at it on the recorder. Uh, that gives me a, a really good idea of, of how much life is there, is just scanning that recorder the whole time while I'm going over the structure. Because you can tell right away, if there's, if there's a rock that's alive, there'll be bottom fish that are marking, there'll be clouds of bait. Uh, you might see, you know, bait flicking on top, cigar minnows and Spanish sardines and stuff. Um, on my machine, the mackerels mark very distinctly, so a lot of times I can mark the mackerels, uh, even if they're not biting yet, or it just gives me a better idea that they're there. But if you're marking an empty screen on, a, you know, two or three passes on a place, I won't even, unless I'm getting the bait store down, I won't even hang around for five or ten minutes. I'll go on. So... Well, hey, I got a question for you. Maybe you can answer. I mean, I, given that everybody's machine is a little bit different, how can you tell your market mackerels on your machine? Not that that would equate to everyone's machine, but just to give us an idea of how you're getting the most out of your machine. Sure. Well, when you're when you're working a reef um, and you're slow trolling, you can really see what's going on. And uh, the bottom fish are very distinct. They kind of mark as, you know, within 10, 15 feet of the bottom as clumps and clouds and then the bait's very distinctive because it's a mass on there it's a it's a cloud it's a big you know cloud of bait whether it's green or yellow or a mixture of both but the mackerels mark as thin streaks long thin streaks going across the recorder in the mid mid water column so anywhere from 10 to 30 feet down sometimes 40 feet down if you're in deeper water uh, they'll literally mark as as like a, a little jagged streak and if there's several of them, if there's a school of them, you'll see those streaks sitting on top of each other and they'll, they'll mark across the whole screen as you're trolling along because they're following and it'll amaze you because a lot of times you won't get the bites, but you'll be marking them once you know what they look like and you'll see them follow your boat and your baits for 20 minutes back and forth on the ledge until one finally eats. So, uh, but they're very distinctive marks on, I've got a Lorance is what I use, and they're mid-water, the fish are usually suspended mid-water. They'll come up to feed on the surface, and uh, they'll go down towards the bottom to stay closer to the bottom. Uh, if there's some big predators around, or if it's just getting hot in the day and the bait's pushing down, or the pressure's gotten pushed down deeper. Um, but especially in the morning, for the first few hours in the morning, if they're there uh, and your finder's tuned in pretty good, you'll get streaks, horizontal streaks on your on your mark uh, or on your uh, machine. And a minor mark is like maybe a quarter inch tall, but they're, they're very distinct horizontal lines and they kind of keep streaking along behind the boat. So that's how I see right. Pretty cool. Hey, uh, so I, I've heard everything we said about location and I didn't check my notes right before the show. I have written down that we're going to talk about weather it kind of following location is well, that weather, did I write that down sure. correct yeah yeah weather kind of determines location for me and anybody else in the small boats because um, during the summertime especially 
you'll have uh, predominant southwest winds. Usually the mornings are calmer and the afternoons it'll pick up. Uh, so, and typically the fish will feed better. Uh, mackerel are more, more they have a, a tendency to push down during the middle of the day, uh, lower in the water column and, and not come up and feed as hard. Um, in my experience, usually the first three to four hours of daylight is, and the last two to three hours of daylight is when you're gonna get your best mackerel fishing on most days. Um, I will say on full moon days, a lot of times that bite happens later in the day. It'll happen from like nine to one or something like that. Um, cause they'll, they'll feed in the night on those full moon nights. Uh, Kings have really good eyesight and, uh, they use that moon and they'll feed all night on a pretty night. Um, but the weather, uh, coming, so, so I take the moon into consideration uh, a bit when I'm mackerel fishing. Um, and then the weather is more a wind thing. Uh, if we've got a southwester, I know that in the morning I'm going to have some, you know, reasonable conditions to be out there unless there's a big ground swell. Uh, but in the afternoon, it's definitely going to pick up like clockwork, 12, 11, 12 o'clock. It's going to be time to be back in that inlet. Um, and then just always watching the ground swell if I'm planning on going out there because um, those inlets can get nasty on a fallen tide, even if it's a spaced out ground swell, if it's a big one. And I just don't like messing around with the small boats out there unless it's pretty enough. You just got to have the right conditions. And I understand a lot of people only get the weekends to go or something like that, but it's just uh, those are always the scenarios where I've seen boats flipped over out there is uh, people in too small boat trying to go through too rough of an inlet. And that's usually what happens. So the weather is, is always something I'm keeping a very close eye on just because of where we are and, and what we're doing. And I've got clients on board most of the time. So I'm responsible for their well-being as well. So weather is paramount uh, near shore fishing in the small boats. And then wind is uh, the, the biggest factor for me is, is direction. So Southwest, we know it's going to pick up in the afternoon. Um, if we've got a north wind, usually that's going to suck the fish up closer to the beach. It's going to suck the bait up closer to the beach. Um, I'll know if it's a north wind uh, or a north uh, west wind that I'll have some uh, beach blocking the wind. So I'll be able to go if it's a little bit bumpier out. I'll still be able to go in the small boat if I'm staying close in. Um, so that's something to consider on a north wind. And then on an east wind, you should just go inside and fish for redfish and sheepshead and stuff because king mackerel do not like an east wind. Um, we'll go from catching, we'll go from getting 15, 20 bites one morning, wind shifts from like southwest over to the east. We'll go the next morning, same place, same baits, marking the fish on the recorder, and we'll catch two or three strikes and get one. So um, they do not like an east wind here. And they love anything out of the west or the south. And uh, a north wind can be good if it's not honking too hard because it'll, it'll push all the bait and everything right in close to the beach. And a lot of times you'll see a really nice tide line or a color change um, somewhere within the first two miles coming out of the inlet going down the beach, somewhere within 30 to 50 feet off of the beach, or 30 to 50 feet of, of water um, off of the beach, you know, probably up to half a mile, three quarters of a mile. So you kind of look for that stretch. And a lot of times I'll work that piece of water, especially if it's got bait and birds working and stuff, um, as opposed to necessarily just going straight to structure, especially if we're looking for a, a big fish. So north wind, a little closer into the beach, uh, east wind, stay home, or fish inside, or bottom fish, um, and then southwest, anything from that direction, you're usually good to go for a, a king mackerel bite.
All right, since you gave me a detailed wind answer, and since you already addressed full moon, I'm going to give you one more weather question to see if you have any thoughts on it. Any thoughts on whether low pressure or high pressure has an effect on the bike? It definitely does. Um, it seems like high pressure brings uh, the bait up and gets it moving. Um, it gets the reef fish moving further up and, and up in the water column and further away from the reef. Uh, and it seems like it gets the pelagics feeding good. Uh, and it seems like low pressure, everything kind of hunkers down and uh, it, they'll, they'll feed good before a front. They'll feed really good before a front uh, when they sense that low pressure coming on. Um, a lot of times it doesn't matter what time of day is or what, what the wind is. If there's a, a, a hard front coming, especially a cold front, uh, right before it comes, they'll, they'll usually chew really good. Um, so that's, that's the most I know about pressure without getting more nerded out on it because that's, that's about the extent of my knowledge with it. It's just experience. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that answer. Hey, what about I know me, how to man? spell barometric though, so. Very good, I'm proud of you. What about bait, man? What's your thoughts on bait for these kings in a small boat? Catching king mackerel, um, I think that your rig and your live bait are the two most important things for getting a bite. Uh, kings are aggressive, and if they're at the location you are and they're feeding, uh, you should be able to catch them. But a lot of people don't because usually it's because their bait is not the right size or it's not lively enough. Uh, you can catch fish, uh, you can catch plenty of fish on dead bait, you can catch plenty of kings on spoons. We used to drag drone spoons all over the place. You can catch them on Yazuri deep divers. There's tons of ways to catch a king mackerel, but in my experience, you will catch the biggest ones, especially uh, you're going to fool them on live bait. And live menhaden are uh, a great bait. Live mullet work uh, if they're the right size. Live cigar minnows, Spanish sardines, and threadfin herring um, are kind of three of the, the baits that are around that you'll jig up. Uh, using sabikis and stuff like that, whether inshore or out on the reefs or the buoy chains. Um, and a lot of times the shad, the menhaden, uh, everybody uses menhaden for king mackerel and they work good. Uh, and they work really good when they're fresh and frisky. But as soon as they are not, the kings don't, they, they're like a dog chasing a bone. They want to come up to that bait and that bait to freak out and try to get away from them and start frantically moving back and forth and panicking and putting off all kinds of vibrations. And if that shad's back there just swimming around, can't keep up with the boats, half dead or something like that, he's just not going to eat it. And because uh, he can, I, I think it's because on top of their feeding instinct, King Mackerel can see so well, they know almost every time when something's up. They, they just can't help themselves with a frisky live bait, but commit to it. And then the, the, the reason that you catch uh, those, you know, really sharp-eyed fish on, uh, drone spoons and, and yozuris and stuff like that is because it's moving fast enough that they can't look at it that close and they have to, they have to commit to it and, and you get a reaction strike. So uh, when you're bait fishing, you're live bait fishing, all your stuff has to be just right because you're trying to imitate something natural that they're really good at seeing. And uh, they're, they're experts at eating it. It's not a problem for them to go cut something in half and turn around and eat the other half and they'll eat it right behind your hooks. Like they're, they're very, fast and aggressive and sharp fish when they're eating baits. But the reason they don't just mow every menhaden you put behind the boat is because they know something's up. And uh, so you're always trying to, 
use your bait and your rig and your presentation to to fool that king mackerel into biting. And uh, the easiest way to do that is with a super frisky bait. So bait is paramount for king mackerel fishing, in my opinion, especially for big kings. Um, I will talk a little bit about menhaden. Uh, they work really good if you catch them. Try not to uh, beat them up too much. Get them right in the live well and uh, keep them, you know, really don't put too many in the live well. Try not to beat them up or handle them too much. You do all that kind of stuff and you can usually get, if it's not real rough and you're having to pull them a little faster than you want because it's blowing or something, you can usually get like four or five hours of good baits. Uh, and after that, even fresh baits that you caught that morning, they don't do that well in the, uh, in the live well. So the best way if you're going to, and especially if you got a little boat, it's an easy way to do it. Uh, if, you, if you've got a place you can keep a pen, because then you can get up and go first thing that morning. You're, you're more selective with what days you're going anyway. So uh, you can keep some bait around for a while. But if you put menhaden in a pen and can keep them alive uh, in a, a bait pen for four or five days, they come out like they've been supercharged and they will last all day and stay clear nosed and they're, they're super frisky baits. So that's one way to do it is to harden up your baits by keeping them in a pen. Um, you can do the same thing with finger mullet inshore uh, in a like Mr. Mr. Flow Troll bucket sitting off the dock. If you put six, just to, we used to do this when I was a kid, but I always noticed it when I was growing up. If you put six or eight finger mullet in one of those and leave them out there for three days, you come back and they are the fastest, strongest finger mullet in existence. And, uh, and that's, you can make baits really hardy by penning them up for a little while. So that's something that you can do with shad to really make them last. And then if I'm using mullets, um, I like to have them fresh caught and I don't like them too big, even for big kings. Um, I like about a six, seven inch mullet, uh, about twice as big as a finger mullet. And uh, they work all right, but they're not my favorite. Same with bluefish. There's a lot of big king mackerel that are caught on bluefish. Uh, bluefish don't stay alive that well. They, they have a hard time swimming the right speed uh, to pace you when you're slow trolling and they spin a lot so uh, I've, I've gotten bit on a lot of bluefish right after they went out but they don't last that long as a bait um, and when you're having trouble getting bites on menhaden mullet bluefish the very best thing to do is jig up cigar minnows uh, Spanish sardines or threadfin herring if you're marking clouds on the structure you're fishing you can do it there uh, if there's some buoy chains or artificial reefs close by you can try to mark the bait and jig it there. It can be very much worth an hour of jigging bait uh, to have two dozen of the right baits because it can get you 15 king mackerel bites just like that when they weren't hitting on the menhaden. Um, so I would definitely say that sabiki fishing and learning how to catch the sabiki bait and the, the bait fish that are out there in the ocean uh, can really get those fish turned on if you can get those fresh frisky baits that they're actually eating out there. They could be a game changer uh, when the bite's kind of slow. Hey, I heard uh, six to seven minutes on the finger mullet. I'm not sure I heard a length on your favorite pogey bait, your favorite menhaden length. If I'm fishing for king mackerel in general, I like bigger ones. Um, when we're targeting big Spanish mackerel near the beach, which we do a lot, and a lot of times you'll miss several fish, have several cut off, you know, big shad or, or have them have fish coming up and looking at them, but not taking them <clears throat> when you're in closer to the beach uh, within two or three miles. And if those Spanish are around, we'll scale down and, and catch those. But 
Uh, I like a smaller shad for those, smaller menhaden. But if we're if we're fishing for king mackerel of any size, I like the biggest menhaden I can get. The bigger the better for uh, for big kings. Okay, so bait is a big part of the equation, and the rig is the second part of that equation. And I think I think Rob Corley is ready to do a demo. Is that what we is that what we covered? Yeah, I brought a couple of pieces of wire and a couple of hooks here, and I'll sort of talk you through the King Mackerel rig. It's a very simple rig. Um, it's pretty easy to tie. Oh, hang on. I think we got a guest. Hey, Felton, come here. Come here. These guys are my friends that we're doing a podcast with. Hi. Say hi. hi. What's happening, Felton? They're asking me about King Mackerel. You think I can catch a King Mackerel? Mm-hmm. If they want to find out about catching bugs or lizards, they'll ask you, all right? All right, I got to talk to these guys. Can you give me some time? Cool. I'll see you later. Sorry about that. I had a feeling that was going to happen, so I was kind of prepared for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, so the King Mackerel rig is a, a super simple rig. Um, I like to use uh, straight wire for my... Kings have really sharp teeth. You, you really have to use wire on the rig or else uh, you'll get cut off. So I like to use straight wire as opposed to stranded wire. Um, it's easier to tie for me, and I've just always been a believer that it's more stealthy. Uh, and I like to use, if if I'm really fishing for big fish and, and I'm not too concerned with uh, going scaling my stuff down, I'll use number five or six uh, straight wire, which is like, I think it's 50, 60 pounds, something like that. But typically I use number four, which I think is 35 uh, pound wire. And we fish king mackerels with a light drag, no matter what size they are. And uh, the nature of that allows us to fish with a lighter rig and lighter tackle than you normally would for a fish of that size that runs that fast. So right now I just got number four wire. So that's typically what I'll use uh, unless I'm scaling up for bigger baits or something like that. Uh, or we're catching a lot of big fish in a certain area, and sometimes I'll just go heavier to start with. And then uh, uh, sometimes I'll also go heavier if I'm catching king mackerels around a wreck because you'll have a lot of kudas and sharks trying to get after them. And if you can put a little more heat on the fish after that first run and get them in faster, uh, sometimes that's necessary if you're fishing close to the wrecks. But either way, um, I use a, uh, two treble hooks. Number four treble hooks work for me. Uh, just about with all bait sizes. Sometimes you have to go to a number two with really big baits, and then we usually use sixes uh, for the Spanish mackerel, or eights if they're being really finicky and we're using small baits. So, number four treble hooks, um, number four wire, straight wire, and then I like to use uh, a really small, low profile swivel, like a, a spro swivel. Um, they're really tiny and strong, but they don't shine or they're black, they don't put off much. Uh, they're not very visible in the water to the fish. And these king mackerel can see really, really good. That's part of how we, you know, set up all our rigging stuff is based on that. So it's a 50-pound swivel, uh, but it's really teeny. So I'm just going to adjust the camera here and see if I can get you guys to see what I'm doing here. This is my laundry room. This is where I wash my Fisherman's Post shirt. That's the only one I got. Maybe Only my friends one. could give me maybe my friends could give me more so I could use my washing machine sometime. <laughs> I think we can handle that. 
You know anybody who's got some shirts like this, Gary? All right. Stay away from Adam Meyer. He spills coffee on them. (laughs) We use a a haywire twist. And uh, I'm not really going to teach you a haywire twist so much as tell you that that's just how you tie straight wire to everything. So you learn how to do a haywire twist, you'll be in good shape. And uh, you can use a bullet. It's a little tool that helps you do the twist. But I use my fingers. And uh, you want to make small loops to start your haywire twist. But you want them to be kind of rounded so that they don't fold over. So you'll end up with a little tiny loop and your swivel. And then uh, a haywire twist is finished off with a barrel twist. Basically, a haywire is spinning the wire together to intertwine it. And then a barrel twist is spinning one piece of wire over the other to sort of lock it in. And uh, when you get really good at this, there'll be very small, clean connections. And then when you go to separate that wire piece, you just bend it, a little 90 degree bend like that, and then bend it back and forth until it breaks. That way you've got a a clean, bloodless connection because if you cut that piece off, then you're going to have a a nasty little spot to get your finger cut right there. But if you break it off, it'll be clean. And I'm usually using about 20 inches, 22 inches of uh, lead between the first treble hook and the uh, swivel. And with a big king mackerel, if he turns around and jets away from you and his tail is whipping across that, uh, sometimes he'll get to your fluorocarbon. But that's one of the biggest differences uh, of getting bites that I've found is if I'm not getting the bites and I'm marking the fish, then I will shorten my lead up between the swivel and the hook by, uh, I'll shorten it halfway up. Because a lot of times that is the most visible part is that actual straight wire is what they see. Because the hooks are in the bait, the swivel's tiny, um, I've got fluorocarbon leader ahead of it. And so honestly, that straight wire, even though it's hard for y'all to even see right here on this white background, those king mackerel can see it in the water. And uh, so the best way to do if you're getting short struck or you're not getting many bites is maybe shorten that up if you think the fish are just being shy. And usually that's on a really calm, calm day. Uh, When it's slick calm, crystal clear, those fish can see all your stuff. They're laughing at you. And then I do the same thing on the lead hook, the haywire twist, finished off with the barrel twist. And uh, you can kind of look those up and get a slow instruction on how to do those if you want to. It takes sitting down with some straight wire and a few hooks and just tying them over and over again for a couple days and you'll have it locked in. And then we do the bite section. Sometimes this middle section in between the two treble hooks I'll do a slightly larger piece of, a stronger piece of leader. So I might use four for my lead. uh, And then I'll use that number five or six for the bite section. And when I connect these two pieces, I like to intertwine them. So I'm going through the loop that I already made with that first haywire twist that the hook's hanging on. And I'm going through the eye of the hook as opposed to just going through the eye. Uh, 
that keeps my rig nice and straight line and keeps that helps keep the back hook from falling down even if it comes out of the back of the bait. We'll talk about how we hook those baits here in a minute once I finish off the rig because that's a very important part of this trolling game too. And we're slow trolling these these baits. We're trying to go as slow as we can. Some boats you can idle, some boats you have to bump troll, pulling it in and out of gear. Sometimes you have to drift because the conditions are so windy and unfavorable that you're not able to troll slow enough. You just have to keep it out of gear and drift. But uh, you're basically trying to go at a pace that the baits can swim naturally, but you're kind of leading them along like a pack of dogs on leashes so they don't all swim around the boat in circles and get tangled up. And I'll sit down in the wintertime a lot of times. I didn't do it this winter. It's been costing me, but I'll tie 150 of these rigs and Honestly, you can do 150 King Mackerel rigs for about uh, 80 bucks probably in materials, 75, 80 bucks, and uh, with less than a dollar a rig, so or less than 50 cent a rig, just about. All right, so that is Captain Rob's King Mackerel rig. We got number four trebles. This distance between the two hooks is really determined by the bait size. You don't want uh, you, you want it to be appropriate to the bait. If it's a small bait, you'll have it shorter. If it's a big bait, you'll have it longer. Um, you want to put the lead hook in the nose of the bait, and then the rear hook is going to go. Don't don't pull it tight and put it in the bait. Put a little bend in that, and then stick it in the bait. I like to say so if it's a if it's a Ben Hayden, I like to nose hook him with the front hook. Put a little bend in it and then put the rear hook right in the top of his back just with one treble and then that way the top hook the back hook is out of sight of the fish coming up from below and it's just barely in the bait but it's not dragging down here underneath it while the fish is swimming by so i'm gonna go ahead and move our camera back now that i'm done tying i got my hands freed up but yeah so with that rig the fish is able to swim naturally, you can get past the teeth of the king mackerel. Um, you can fool them with their good eyes. And uh, a lot of the store-bought rigs, they've gotten much better, but when I was a kid, the store-bought rigs were garbage. And they'd be way too big, way too long, uh, way too heavy, and uh, it was hard to fool a big king mackerel on them. But if you tie up some pretty rigs, you'll be able to get them. So, Hooking the baits with these rigs, uh, I'll just talk about real quick, like I said with the shad, I like to put that lead hook into the fish in the nose, and then the trailing hook, put a little bend in it, put it in his back. With a mullet, I like to put him, he's got kind of a wide flat nose, it's not like a menhaden that's more sideways. I like to put that in his mouth, not through the bottom lip, just through the top part of his nose and, and, and lip coming up from the bottom, coming up through the top. And then on uh, most of the cigar minnows, threadfin herring, all those other guys, uh, and even the bluefish, um, I just hook them the same way we do with the menhaden, through the nose, and then that back hook, a little bend in it, put it in the back. So really the only one we hook differently on these is mullet. Um, and then put out 
a spread of them behind your boat and catch some king mackerel. So what is that? What I is mean, the next I, question I'm, on that? Well, I'm saying I'm following everything. So that's a great conversation on the rig and the bait. I mean, I would come up with a question and then you would answer it before I had a chance to ask it. I mean, just all across the board. So that was fantastic. We don't have much time left in your podcast. So I guess I would say, why don't you finish with any insight you can give us to putting those baits in the water? I mean, you've already told us about as slow as you can go, but anything else you can share now that we have frisky bait and effective rig? What am, and some, what am I going to do with my lines behind the boat? All right. So put your lines out. Uh, the easiest way to do it I've found is with spinning tackle because you can actually pitch that bait back away from the boat a little bit and then start to feed them out. Um, it can be tiresome on uh, open face reels having to feed the bait out all the way from the back of the boat, uh, especially when you're trying to put four lines out and there's a bite going on. But what I like to do is put uh, my long bait out first and that way it's out of way, away from everything out of the way when I'm putting the rest of the baits out. And sometimes I'll go way back with that if the fish are really finicky and it's real calm. But usually I've got it maybe uh, 80 yards behind the boat or so. Um, and then if it's 80 yards, let's just say 100 to make it easier for spatial purposes. If it's 100 feet behind the boat or 100 yards behind the boat, then my next bait's going to be 75 yards behind the boat. And then my next bait's going to be 50 yards behind the boat. And then my next bait's going to be 25 yards behind the boat. So if those baits are staggered uh, too long and too short, in a sense, uh, so you've got two baits out long, I usually like to put those in my T-top because I've got one. You put them in the rocket launchers on the side. Uh, that gives them a little bit of, of uh, space away from each other. It keeps them spread out a little bit and it keeps the line up out of the water. So those longer lines, you get them up higher and more of that braid, more of that main line uh, coming from your reel is out of the water and out of the way of those fish uh, coming up and checking out your spread. So that can be very helpful. Um, and then I'll put those two long baits out and then I'll feed my short baits out. Usually my shortest bait is 15, 20 feet behind the boat, almost right in the prop wash. Uh, sometimes that's what the bigger fish will come eat. And I don't know why it is, but they, they seem to like that prop wash bait. I think the boat gets them kind of excited and they're trying to come get that thing before it gets back to cover, which is what the boat offers. Uh, if that's the way they're thinking. But if you can only fish three, that's fine. I'll put one out real long, one out, you know, three quarters and then one out close in the prop wash. And uh, sometimes we have to do that if it's a little rougher, especially if we're up to, uh, to do more drifting and bump trolling. But usually we run a spread of four. Um, and I don't really like using outriggers for king mackerel fishing. I think you miss a lot of bites and, and the you have to set the outrigger so light. Um, it can be tiresome and small boats and outriggers don't usually get along that well anyway. So uh, I would just use the T-top if you have it, but you use a staggered system with your baits um, so they can cross over each other without getting tangled up. And that'll give you the most effective way. And one thing I will say is when you hook up, whatever fit direction the fish is heading, kind of turn the boat towards them because you're going to fish a light drag and you're chasing these fish down with the boat more than fighting them back to the boat with the rod and reel. And that way you can fish them on a lighter drag and they won't pull these small treble hooks and stuff. Um, but turn towards that fish and keep your other baits out if you can. If they're getting in your way, wind them in. And as you're going after the other fish, try to get another bait straight behind you so it's following you in the spread more often than not.
those fish are schooled up. And if you can keep a couple baits, at least one back behind your boat while you're fighting uh, the fish you're hooked up to, you'll often get a second fish that way. Or sometimes you'll get all four rods going off at the same time. You know, two of them while you're fighting one fish, two of them will go off while you're chasing it down. So it's a really good way to get multiple hookups. Man, uh, I, I know we could just keep going. I mean, I know you have, there's probably no end to the details you could share about King Mackerel fishing or fishing in general, but we are basically at the end. So I'm going to ask one question and then I'm going to apologize if, if it's a dumb question and then ask you to wrap it up with any final thoughts on big kings from small boats. So my one potentially dumb question is with slow troll and live bait, are they always naked? Or are they all naked baits? And then after that answer, Give me your final thoughts on big kings from small boats. Okay. <clears throat> I am an all naked guy. Uh, I like the presentation to be as natural as possible. Uh, I've had some, we've caught a lot of fish on skirts, uh, rigs with skirts on them or a little extra flash or whatever. Um, but I think that uh, there's very few times where I'm more confident Usually when in the past when I've been tournament fishing or even if I'm in charter fishing and we got a skirted rig out in, out in the water, it ends up coming in and an eagle goes out at some point. It almost never goes the other way. Um, that's, that's just me. There's been plenty of fish caught on skirts and, and they're a little extra attractor can work sometimes, but uh, I've had more luck with barracudas and amberjacks with the skirt on and big 40 pound king mackerel like something that they don't think anything's up with it. And that's that's the goal of this whole operation is to fool a king mackerel because they're 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 kind of tricky. <laughs> um, and my final thought on the small boat uh, king mackerel fishing is get you a long gaff because you'll get shots on kings, especially big ones, especially if you're fishing lighter tackle, uh, catching big Spanish or something like that, and you hook a forty pound king, you'll get shots on that fish up at the surface chasing them down with the boat. But if you got a little three foot gaff, you're, you're probably going to lose the fish because it's so hard to get that fish in the end game, a big king like that, that last 10 feet to the boat. So if you got a, a solid eight foot gaff on board, uh, if you're going to do a bunch of king mackerel fishing or, or offshore fishing in general on a small boat, um, I've got one little gaff for sticking Spanish mackerel. That's like a 12 watt hook on the end of a golf club. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, and then the eight foot gaff is what you need for the kings. And maybe invest in a if you're going to do it a lot or you know often during the king mackerel season from a smaller boat you might need to invest in a fish bag uh, it's kind of the easiest way to keep if you get into a good bite and you get a limited king mackerel and have a couple 20 30 pounders in there it's you're not gonna have room in your cooler on your bay rider uh i won't but a fish bag is a good way to take care of that so all right well okay. i'll tell you what rob corley i've got i've got two final thoughts for you one is we should have you as a guest more often. And the second one is you should definitely have more than one fisherman's post shirt. That's that's true. No, I meant this is my only shirt, Gary. I need another shirt. This one's getting really dirty. <laughs> All right. I'm on it. I'm gonna solve that problem. Rob Corley, thank you so much. I mean, a joy to talk with you, a joy to hang out with you, and appreciate everything about you. All right, thank you guys. We'll see you later. We'll do it again sometime. Have a blast. All right, Rob. Happy to Thank share some, some information. Let everybody catch some big fish on the small boat. It's a lot of fun. With you, man. So, Billy, what do you think? Gary, Gary, Gary. I think one, you know, from me to you, from uh, partner to partner, 
you know, he made your life a little too easy for that. I mean, <laughs> it was way too easy. Like he not, you know, the shirt got a lot of attention. Not only did he show up wearing a shirt, but he showed up as the professor of the style of fishing, man. I was like, golly, the information he's spewing out. And we probably, like you said, we could have went another 45 minutes easy on this topic. So yeah, man, good job, Rob. Not a good job, Gary. Like, geez, I didn't dude. have to do anything. You could have just interrupt him or something. Like, try to be the host of the show. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I should have heckled him. I should have made it harder. I should have tried to yeah, whack him. Trying to distract him or make fun of his washer or something. I didn't, he did not need any help. I think he needed a challenge. Yeah, he needed a challenge. Yeah. Anyway, you know, whatever. Whatever. It was good, man. I, I loved it. Uh, I took a lot away, man. I actually got a page of notes here, but... You know, I think safety, I got a few takeaways. Safety takeaway, weather, weather, weather. Check the weather before you go out because I think that's can get you in a lot of trouble if you're not careful. And then a couple of homework pieces for myself and maybe for some other people is learn how to use a sabiki rig so you can catch the fresh bait, get that fresh, frisky bait. And then, um, and then the haywire twist. That seemed like it's really important to be successful <laughs> at this style of fishing. So... Uh, those were the those were the two main things, and the weather was the safety one. So, I like here's one that I was like, huh? Actually, I have noticed that too. I just didn't make a mental note. Wait, hold on. The you're, old you're, you're not going to do your job, but now you're going to come in on my only yeah. segment of the show. Well, I didn't right. work. I haven't Go worked yet it. tonight, so I'm trying to do something <laughs> to contribute. Please, man. Uh, <laughs> I have kept finger mullet in the flow troll tied up to the dock, just a few of them for a few days. And as Rob said, man, they come out just blistering, moving like, and you would think a couple of days in there would make them lethargic. But as Rob pointed out, man, it supercharges them. It's a yeah. it's a cool phenomenon that I have noticed but haven't recorded in my observation part of my brain, but I'm on it now. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's uh, Dude, this sounds fun. Sounds like a good time. And uh, yeah, dude, he came as the professor tonight and put on a put on a class. So hopefully, people who are listening are watching. And, and if you're listening and you want to watch, just go to YouTube and type in Fisherman's Post, and you'll see it come up, and and you'll be able to watch it there. That way, you can see what he was doing with his hands and maybe help you out a little bit more. So, yeah, man, awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you Marine Warehouse for sponsoring this along with Academy Sports. And uh, yeah, man, it's a great episode, Gary. Wish you was more part of it, but it was good without it. It was good without you. <laughs> Maybe that's the recipe. Less Gary. <laughs> Gary, Gary's the hype man. He just introduces people, and then they take the stage, and that's yes. it. <laughs> Sounds yes. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Gary. Fish him,